12 hours, 49 minutes ephemeris time. The last act's about to begin. Earth has nearly reached the edge of the sun. The two narrow horns of light that still embrace it are barely touching. Recorder on fast. Contact. 12 hours, 50 minutes, 16 seconds. The crescents of light no longer meet. A tiny black spot has appeared at the edge of the sun as the earth begins to cross it. It's growing longer, longer. Recorder on slow. 18 minutes to wait before Earth finally clears the face of the sun. The moon still has more than halfway to go. It's not yet reached the midpoint of its transit. It looks like a little round blob of ink, only a quarter the size of Earth. And there's no light flickering there anymore. Lunacom must have given up. Well, I have just a quarter of an hour left here in my last home. Time seems to be accelerating the way it does in the final minutes before a liftoff. No matter, I have everything worked out now. I can even relax. Already, I feel part of history. I am one with Captain Cook back in Tahiti in 1769, watching the transit of Venus. Except that image of the moon trailing along behind it. It must have looked just like this. What would Cook have thought over 200 years ago if he'd known that one day a man would observe the whole Earth in transit from an outer world? I'm sure he would have been astonished and then delighted. But I feel a closer identity with a man not yet born. I hope you hear these words, whoever you are. Perhaps you'll be standing at this very spot a hundred years from now, when the next transit occurs. Greetings to 2084, November 10. I wish you better luck than we had. I suppose you will have come here on a luxury line. Or you may have been born on Mars and be a stranger to work. You will know things that I cannot imagine. Yet somehow I don't envy you. I would not even change places with you if I could. For you will remember my name and know that I was the first of all mankind ever to see a transit of Earth. And no one will see another for a hundred years. Twelve hours, fifty-nine minutes. Exactly halfway through Egypt. The Earth is a perfect semicircle, a black shadow on the face of the sun. I still can't escape from the impression that something is taking a big bite out of my golden disk. In nine minutes it will be gone, and the sun will be whole again. Thirteen hours and seven minutes, recorder on fast. Earth is almost gone. There's just a shallow black dimple at the edge of the sun. You could easily mistake it for a small spot going over the limb. Thirteen hours, eight. Goodbye, beautiful earth. Going, going, going. Goodbye, goodbye. I'm okay again now. The timing's 
so this capsule will stay here, as Scott's diary remained in his tent until the next visitors find it. But they won't find me. Strange how hard it is to get away from Scott. I think he gave me the idea. His body will not lie frozen forever in the Antarctic, isolated from the great cycle of life and death. Long ago, that lonely tent began its march to the sea. Within a few years, it was buried by the falling snow, and it became part of the glacier that crawls eternally away from the pole. In a few brief centuries, the sailor will return to the sea. Once more to the pattern of living things, the plankton, the seals, the penguins, the whales, all the multitudinous forms of the Antarctic Ocean. There are no oceans here on Mars, nor have there been for at least five billion years. But there is life of some kind down there in the badlands of chaos, too, which you never had time to explore. Those moving patches on the orbital photographs. The evidence of whole areas of Mars have been swept clear of craters by forces other than erosion. The long chain optically active carbon molecules picked up by the atmospheric samples. And, of course, the mystery of Viking 6. Even now, no one has been able to make any sense of those last instrument readings before something large and heavy crushed the probe in the still, cold depths of the Martian night. And don't talk to me about primitive life forms in a place like this. Anything that survived here would be so sophisticated that we may look as clumsy as dinosaurs. There's still enough propellant in the ship's tanks to drive the Mars car clear around the planet. I have three hours of daylight left. Plenty of time to get down into the valleys and well out into chaos. After sunset, I'll still be able to make good speed with the headlights. It'll be romantic, driving at night under the moons of Mars. One thing I must fix before I leave. I don't like the way Sam's lying out there. He was always so poised, so graceful. It doesn't seem right that he should look so awkward now. I must do something about it. I wonder if I could have covered 300 feet without a suit, walking steadily, slowly, the way he did to the very end. I must try and not look at his face. That's it. Everything ship-shaped and ready to go. The therapy has worked. I feel perfectly at ease, even contented, now that I know exactly what I'm going to do. The old nightmares have lost their power. It is true. We all die alone.
Thank you. 